part two, the end times. You know, in the theological world, the end times is called eschatology. Essentially, it's the study of the end times. And with eschatology is a lot of controversy, by the way. Underneath the umbrella of Christianity, you have the study of the end times, eschatology. And you have Christians all over the world who have different ideas, differences of opinions, all kind of things when it comes to eschatology, when it comes to prophetic words pertaining to the end times from the Old Testament to the New Testament, when it comes to discerning the times that we live in today, all of those things, there's a lot of controversy in that. As a matter of fact, I've seen a lot of fighting about it. Uh, you can see a lot of blog posts, a lot of uh, digital fighting, uh, a lot of debates that go on around that. And I really don't believe that that's God's will that the body of Christ debate about when he's coming back. You believe that? I, I do. I think God wants us to be unified, realize the end is coming, and get busy about the Father's business. I mean, we can sit all day and debate and scratch our chin and then miss the, the big goal or the big idea of redemption, which is what Jesus is all about. But we are looking at the end times it's intriguing, it can, it can send you on a rabbit trail, but it's also real. And you know, week number one, we talked about the return of Christ, that Christ will come back for his church. We, talk, we talked about the raptures, the different raptures, and, and, and some of the different lines that people look at when it comes to the rapture. And this week, we're gonna talk about your end, in context of the end. Because there is going to be an end, and there is also gonna be an end for you as well. And they both will tie together. But you know, a lot of people believe that we should begin with the end in mind. No matter how you live, you know, whether you're starting a business, whether you're raising kids, you need to think about the end in the beginning. So you wanna begin with the end in time because you don't know how far the end is away. You, you, don't, you, you have to work every day hard with your hands, right? In, in the New Testament, Jesus was teaching his disciples how to pray, and he said, pray like this. Give us this day our daily bread, saying, you know what? Today is a good day to get busy about the Father's business. Today is a good day to begin with the end in mind. And what I love about Jesus is it doesn't matter what I did yesterday. His faithfulness is renewed every day, and I can begin with the end in mind today. I can, I can recalibrate myself today and I think it's right to do. We, we learn from the psalmist, he prayed prayers like this because he understood he had an end. Him and himself had an end. He understood that there was an end to all of this. And here's what he prayed in Psalms 39 verse four. He said, show me Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. So now we see his personal end. Now let's look at the end in Revelations chapter 22, verse 12. It says, look, I'm coming soon, Jesus speaking. My reward is with me and I will give to each person according to what they have done. I'm the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. So we see that we do have an end and then there is an end. And uh, what we don't want to do is get on an intriguing rabbit trail and expend a lot of energy trying to figure out and measure everything that's happening according to the end times and then get run over by a school bus tomorrow. Come on, let's get real now, folks. 
and we've never calibrated ourselves and numbered our days. And that's what we want to look at today. So we want to look at both of those ends. And what we've got to realize is there is an end and we are not qualified for heaven by our works. We're not qualified for heaven by our works. And we are qualified simply by faith and grace. Grace is God's unmerited favor. It's undeserved. It's unearned. It's a free gift that we receive by faith. I love the illustration that this is grace, God's hand reaching down to man, and faith is our hand reaching up to God. And when the two meet, a miracle is formed and we call it salvation. It's hard to explain. You can't break it down in your finite mind, but we're not qualified by our good works. But the way we live on earth now in Christ, talking about in Christ, will determine how we're actually rewarded in heaven. So we're gonna have an end. We don't know what that timeline is, right? You don't know it. You, there's a number of days that you're gonna be alive on planet earth. After the flood, God said, we'll give you about 120 max, as long as you're exercising real good and eating your Wheaties, right? I don't know. <laughs> but we've gotta determine how we live on earth one day at a time. I'm telling you, one day at a time, we have to determine how we live on earth. Tell you a little story. There was a preacher and a taxi cab driver. They died instantly. Both died instantly. And they ended up at the pearly gates. And there was St. Peter standing there to greet him. And he said, welcome, preacher. Welcome to heaven. I tell you what we have for you. Here's your rewards. We got a nice three-bedroom house, split floor plan, backyard, little dog, and, and, and it's going to be just fine. Well, the taxi cab driver was right there with him. He said, welcome taxi cab driver. We got a seven bedroom mansion for you. We have, your, your house is right on heavenly greens, hole number nine. <laughs> you got a built-in swimming pool. You got the works. And the preacher said, hold up a second, hold up a second. What's going on? Don't you know I was a preacher? And he said, yes, we know you're a preacher. We, we understand that. But you are being rewarded by your works or your results on earth. And when you preached, people slept. And when the taxi cab driver drove, people prayed. <laughs> Enter into heaven. St. <laughs> Pete's really not at the pearly gates, but uh, pretty funny. It's probably true too, you know. Just because somebody's standing up here doesn't mean anything about rewards, right? But there is a blessing for people who are in the ministry. Now, we do have an end time. We are, we are going to be rewarded according to our works as individuals. And so we want, we want to focus in on the judgment seat of Christ, first of all. Because at the judgment seat of Christ, that's where the Christians, the people who had grace and faith that met in salvation, the new birth, the regeneration took place. That's where we're going to appear. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due to us for the things we've done while in the body, whether good or bad. So most scholars believe that the judgment seat of Christ is the judgment seat for Christians only. And at this judgment seat, you're not going to be judged whether you're saved or lost. You're gonna be judged on what you've done in Christ 
Now that you're a Christian, the works that you've done in Christ, the life that you've lived in Christ, that's what you're going to be rewarded for, not what you've done outside of Christ, it's in Christ, it's the judgment seat of Christ. And that word judgment seat, if you look at it real closely, and if you like to do a word study, which simply means take a word out of the Bible, pull it out, and look at it, typically you're going to look at the Greek translation first of all so that you can kind of get a better understanding of why the translators use the word judgment seat to start with. And the word judgment seat is a Greek word called bema, or the bema seat. And the bema seat, if you, if you look at it in context, it's not a seat where the judge sits on it to issue a verdict, guilty or innocent. It's not describing that. That's why we believe that this judgment seat of Christ is a judgment seat of rewards for the Christians for what they've done. It's a judgment seat to issue rewards after Grecian games. And it talks about, you know, a lot of times in that time, the apostle and the writers of the New Testament illustrate things that are happening in the time. We talk, he talks about a race. He talks about warfare. He talks about uh, armor and things of this nature so that we can get a better understanding. And the Bema seat was a place where the person would sit and say, congratulations, and they would issue crowns. It was a place where people would get all of their rewards at this particular seat. And that's why we believe that at the Bema seat or the judgment seat, it's a seat where rewards are issued to every person found in Christ, all right? Now, as I was worshiping here this morning, I was thinking about the end times and I was thinking about, um, you know, the Bema seat and our rewards. And, and I really believe that the end times have, has, has got a bad rap when it comes to fear. I think people are motivated by fear and not the fear of the Lord, a different type of fear. Uh, you know, when I was sitting there worshiping, the scripture came to my heart that says the healthy fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of understanding. And the fear of the Lord can grip your heart when you get what we call a revelation of what God is doing on planet Earth. When you get a revelation of the big picture of what God is wanting to do, when you get a revelation of the Bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ that you're going to stand at one day, to where the healthy fear of the Lord causes you to recalibrate your life and hone in on really what matters. And then when you do that, the peace of God floods your heart and your mind and you're stabilized. There's a different thing uh, uh, that's not the healthy fear of the Lord in regards to the end times that causes people to panic, go into anxiety and do all kind of things. It doesn't sound like the scripture to me. Even in the, I was at the Wiggins location last week sharing part one and talking about the end times and how the beginning uh, at the early church, the, the, the beginning apostles were living like the end times were tomorrow and Christ is going to return. Maranatha, right? And uh, a lot of those guys were ready to be embraced and embrace martyrdom. Paul the apostle said, my life has been poured out like a drink offering. My time of departure is at hand. Fulfill your ministry now, young Timothy, young man of the faith. Sounds like he was solidified, ready to go into eternity, not frantically running around and panicking. That's what it takes. And I believe that God wants to give us the healthy fear of the Lord that causes us to stabilize our life in Christ 
and then live with peace on earth and reach people. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, talking about the Bama seat, talking about the judgment seat of Christ, we're running a race of faith. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us so that when we finish our race, will be issued our personal rewards at the judgment seat of Christ. You with me? God wants to reward you for your faithfulness here on earth. When you are faithful, not in vain, but faithful in Christ, there is a reward for you and it brings motivation and inspiration. Matter of fact, I study the apostles and Peter is one of my favorite ones to study. And theologians say that when he was martyred for the gospel's sake, He said, I'm not even worthy to be crucified right side up because my Lord was crucify me upside down. I'm embracing my reward. I'm counting it joy that I can suffer like Christ suffered. Wow. He wasn't scrambling. He said, let's do this thing. And so these are spiritual giants that we have to look towards for the principle of Christianity that God rewards your faithfulness on earth when you're in him. Watch this parable out of chapter 14 of Luke. It says, then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. That's exciting, folks. Come on now. Now, I know you want to get excited about that Christmas bonus coming up. This is what we should get excited about. This should fuel our lives right here. Jesus talks about the heaven being like the great wedding feast. And he said, my house shall be full. Go to the byways and the highways and invite people so that you can be rewarded. Revelations chapter 22, verse 12. Look, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me and I will give to each person according to what they have done. So we, we're, we're realizing that God wants to reward us, right? Now in the scriptures, we don't see all of what the rewards are gonna look like for each and every one of us. Even heaven, when we try to explain it here in just a moment, the Bible says no eye is seen and no ear has heard what God has prepared for those who love him. Meaning God's got some surprises that mankind in this body just can't figure out. I love Jesus. Some of you don't like surprises, but that's okay. But in the scripture, we see five different crowns We'll go over them real quick. Number one is the incorruptible crown. It's for those who run a faithful race. Number two, we see a crown of rejoicing, and that's for those who share their faith. What are these crowns all about? Not quite sure, but God said there's gonna be crowns for you. Then there's a crown of righteousness we see in scripture for those who love and embrace and hasten the coming of the Lord. And then we see a a crown of glory for faithful pastors, amen, amen. And amen. <laughs> right? Then there's the crown of life for those who suffer for his name's sake, those who are martyred, those who suffer for the name of Jesus. He said, I got a crown of life for you. It's going to be good. 
So I'm gonna show you a potential timeline, if you would, of the end times. Again, potential. There's a lot of men that are telling us what time God's watch says and what day he's Xing off his calendar, but we can just pray and lean towards a timeline. And the first is Christ returns, right? Christ is returning, obviously. There's many scriptures on that. Then number two, Christ returns, the dead in Christ will rise. The dead in Christ will rise, we talked about last week. Then Christians will be raptured. We said we lean towards a pre-tribulation rapture last week, but you know, everything's gonna pan out. Um, then the next is believers are rewarded. That's the judgment seat of Christ. Then there's the seven year tribulation right after that. Then there's the battle of Armageddon. Then Satan is thrown into the bottomless pit. Then Christ will return to the earth, the millennial reign of Christ, 1,000 years. And then you'll see the great white throne judgment. And that's the judgment where people who are, whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life will be separated and moved on. So what is heaven gonna be like in the end? What is it gonna be like? We don't have all the answers, but we have some indicators. In Revelations chapter 21, verse one, it says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. God will establish a new heaven and a new earth, so it's gonna be different. It's gonna be different than what we know of it right now, right? Three quarters of the earth is made of water, three quarters of your body's water too. I heard one pastor say, speak to your water. <laughs> but uh, you know, things are gonna be different, obviously. I'm not sure what that structure or infrastructure is gonna look like, that technology, the systems, that God puts in place, but it's gonna be better than it is now, and the earth's pretty good. I'm not talking about all the things that's going on with mankind. I mean, look, man, the fish in the sea, the ecosystem, man, that's a pretty good job, man. I'm telling you right now, wow. Scientists are still trying to figure that out, and he said it's gonna be a new heaven and a new earth, and I have a feeling it's gonna be even better than this earth right here. Number two, what will heaven be like? You will never suffer again never suffer again. Revelations chapter 21 verse four says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. The old order of things, what? Mourning, death, crying, and pain. That old order has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. That means there'll be no more pain, man. No more worry. No more stress, no more hunger, no more sickness, no more AIDS, no more heartache, no more divorce, no more loneliness, no more genocide, no more hurricanes, no more earthquakes, nothing. It's pretty exciting, y'all aren't that excited, but man, I, let me encourage myself in the Lord. Yes, Lord, there'll be no more of that. No more, it's gonna be good, it's gonna be good. I'm looking forward to it because my lips are a little bit chapped right now. No more chapped lips. No more chapped lips. Won't have to wear makeup anymore, ladies. <laughs> hey, I'm on to something. <laughs> yeah. Let's camp out right there. What else can we? <laughs> Number three, you're going to live with God forever. 
You will live with God forever. That's right. Revelation 21 says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God is, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and they will be their God. God's going to restore Eden, right? Back to the beginning. The problem is sometimes when it comes to heaven, and you know it's true, folks, and it's, it's sad, it's deceiving, and, 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 and it helps people psychologically, but it's, it's biblical era that says heaven is a default place. Every funeral I ever go to, Uncle Bob, he's going to be in heaven. He's on his rocking chair doing really good, smiling down at his grandchildren and his children. And everybody cries, and it's a soothing device that's deception. Heaven is not the default destination. Do you know that? It's true. It, it is. It, it's true. It's not. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 says, enter through the what? Narrow gate. For wide, this is the default place, by the way, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. Many find it, but only few find the narrow gate. Only few. And so we have to realize that heaven's not the default gate and that there's a final judgment. There is a final judgment known as the great white throne judgment. Revelations chapter 20 Verse 11, it says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was sitting on it, or seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to what they had done or what was recording recorded in the books. Verse 15, anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Hades, hell, call it what you want, right? That's what the English translators use, those type of words, lake of fire. There is a great white throne judgment. There is. And God is just. See, some people believe that it's not fair you know, Uncle Bob was a great guy. He really was. He, he did woodworking for his grandchildren. He brought them camping. He showed them how to milk a cow. Surely, surely God would put Uncle Bob in heaven. Surely. That's not fair. Uncle Bob had a good heart. It's not fair. God's not fair, right? No, God is just. I'll tell you what's not fair. Jesus, the Son of God, the spotless Lamb of God, comes to earth in the form of a man, basically humbles himself and leaves heaven. What that means, I'm not quite sure, but he left heaven. He walked in the flesh as we walk in the flesh, and he was tormented, abused, crucified, obliterated innocently. That's not fair. That's what's not fair. But it's just. 
And God said, because of that, my arms is open to all of mankind. Jesus' arms are open like this. He said, I've paid the price, you haven't. I'm the great high priest. I'm the final sacrifice for sin. No longer do mankind have to come with pigeons and doves and animals and shed innocent blood. I'm the finality of every sacrifice. I'm the spotless lamb of God that takes away the sin of the earth and I was tortured for you. And now my arms are wide open and the New Testament says that the will of God is that none should perish but that all would come to the saving knowledge, the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Wow. So the gift of God is given freely. It's undeserved and unearned by us. Wouldn't it? I'm glad God did it that way because if not, we would all try to find merit in self-sufficiency and our accomplishments to buy our way into heaven. And we can't do that. Jesus paid the price and the price was paid for Uncle Bob. And he gives every person an opportunity to come into his presence. And I know there's a lot of unanswered questions about that. What about the guys in the sticks, you know, with bones in their nose? Well, God knows about those guys in the sticks. I don't. I do know in the book of Romans it says that all of creation speaks of an invisible God so that men are without excuse. The love of God draws all mankind to repentance. God is just. So sometimes when we don't understand, we need to put that in the file cabinet of ignorance and say, God, you're just. No matter what happens, I'm gonna worship you. No, what, no matter what happens out of my lips, I'm gonna praise you. I think about Job in the Old, Old Testament, just had a horrible things happen to him. But he said, I'm gonna continue worshiping God because he knows more than I know. He's greater than I am. His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. His ways are higher than my ways. And it will be revealed to me one day the, intri the, intri the intricate details of God's dealings with humanity. Even the angels, in the New Testament it says, even the angels think to themselves, wow, God working with man. They don't even understand it. So God is just. You believe that? I do. That's what my faith is. My faith is in the Holy Bible, Genesis to Revelation, and it's the plumb line for my understanding. So when my understanding drifts here or there, I have to use the plumb line of the scripture to straighten me out by looking at the characteristic of God from Genesis to Revelation, his whole heart, you can see his characteristics. So what are we gonna do knowing that there is an end and that I have personally an end? Jesus even said it this way, and this is not a fear message, this is a faith message. This is a peace message. This is a solidification message that we're not promised tomorrow. We're not. So I, I, don't, I don't know when Jesus is gonna return. This earth can fall apart, this nation can fall apart. We don't know all that. But what I do know is I have to live for eternity today. This is paramount. If a, if a star fell from heaven and wiped away one third of the population tomorrow, these three points are still relevant. 
Here's what I would say, refocus my energy. Obviously there's gonna be panic, but we're gonna, church changes by the way when a star falls from heaven. I'm gonna refocus my energy. This is what I need to do for eternity. We all have a measure of energy by the way, made up of energy. You can expound so much energy in one day, in one lifetime. What What are we focusing our energy on? Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 says, Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We look at treasure as money, as time and talent, because money equals time, talent equals time, Passion equals time. I would have to refocus my energy. People who are intrigued in eschatology want you to stand up and say, this nation is doing that and this nation is doing that. So bam, this is it. Even if that was the case right now today, what would I tell you to do? Refocus your energy. What are you putting your energy into? Are you putting your energy into the Great Commission The greatest commission that mankind has ever seen is found in Matthew chapter 28. Go therefore into all the world and bring the good news of the gospel so that men might be saved. Refocus my energy. I don't think I would be worried about treasures in heaven when a a third of the population is wiped out and a star fell from the sky. Why don't we just do that now? Refocus our energy. Number two, reach people. You want them to do in the end times? Refocus your energy, reach people. Reaching people for Christ is the greatest preparation you can ever do. They ought to put that on doomsday preppers on that show. I got my ammo, I got my water, I got my filtration system, I got my bunker, it costs $150,000. I'm looking for some gas masks in case of a nuclear fallout. I got the, what is it, iodine I can eat, all that stuff. Uh, how many people is in the market with you? Well, I got my cousin down the road. How many people do you reach for Christ? Eh. What do they do on that show? There's like three or four X's. Reach people for Christ. Jude chapter one, verse 22 says, be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corruptible flesh. Talking about sin, hating sin that will corrupt and stain your garments. Snatching people from the fire. Reaching people for Jesus. Being light, being salt being unashamed of the gospel. When the Holy Spirit came upon the, the, the apostles in the New Testament, it said the Holy Spirit came upon them with power and they preached the word of God with boldness, with boldness. And by the way, they were thinking Maranatha tomorrow. You know what I mean? So what did they do? They did this. What did the old, I mean the early church do thinking that Christ is gonna return biblically? See, we, we, sometimes people want to get down rabbit trails of all, let's get, what does the Bible say? What did the early church, the people who walked around and greeted each other with Maranatha, the Lord's return is coming soon. What did they do? Reach people, preach the gospel. Wow. With fire, with passion, with love, with desire, with conviction. 
And God honored that. As a matter of fact, that they preached the gospel and it said that God added to the church daily those who were being saved, those who were being snatched out from the lakes of fire, basically. The great commission, the greatest commission, the greatest doomsday prepper gear you can ever have in your ammunition rack, period. But you have to have a revelation of that. Number three, what would I tell you to do if a star fell from heaven, third of the population was wiped away? Renew your relationship with God. I want to give you the essentials, folks. Renew your relationship with God. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 13 says, but in keeping with his promise. You want to know what to do in end times? The Bible tells you what to do. We are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, because of that, so then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with God. Renewing your relationship with God is paramount in the context of your end and the end. Jesus said that I'm coming back for a church. The word church in the Greek is ecclesia, which simply means the called out ones. So Jesus said I'm coming back for the called out ones. And my church is who I'm after. And he said, my church will not have spot or wrinkle. It'll be a pure bride, a spotless bride, a glorified bride. And coming to church doesn't make you a part of the bride. Coming to church can soothe your conscience. But when I renew my relationship or start my relationship with Jesus, I am placed into the family of God supernaturally. And now I'm part of the ecclesia, the church. I'm not part of a social group. I'm not part of a political group. I'm not part of a gathering of people that I come to church and I feel all right and make some contacts. And I feel better about myself. I'm part of the everlasting body of Christ that Christ died for. At this time, we're able to do church in America in a room. We've got some lights, got a little microphone here. Church might not always be that way. The key is, are you a part of the church? The key is, are you renewing your relationship with God on a daily basis? His faithfulness is like the dew on the ground, the psalmist says, that every day I can renew my relationship with God, recalibrate my life, and live with the end in mind. I hope you're getting something out of this. I know some of you want me to tell you to go get bullet-making machines. I do, I know that. And you want me to say, hey, Putin's doing this, and this guy's doing this, and here it is all right here. Let's just say everything that some of the prophetic circle says is absolutely accurate. What would I tell you to do? Refocus your energy on the Great Commission. Reach people. 
reach people. I think about that movie, help me out, it just came to my mind. It was during the Jewish Holocaust. It was a guy who, the Schindler's List. This guy was paying for Jews and after it was all done, he reached thousands and saved them. Type and style of reaching people, right, for Christ. He looked down in his ring and he said, this was, this, this ring right here. Tears in his eyes, right? That's four more people. That was four more people I could have reached. Wow. That's the soberness that God wants us to have. Let's bow our heads. Father, we, we, we know that there's gonna be an end. Lord, we know that there are signs on planet Earth that are given. Father, we wanna make sure that the plumb line of the scriptures is the plumb line of our life. That God, we focus in on the essentials, even learning from the early church disciples who are living with the attitude of Maranatha, that, that we're living with the attitude of, I'm not even worthy to be crucified upside, upside right or right side up. The, the, to embrace the sufferings of Christ and consider it worthy to do that. Consider it awesome to privilege to do that in order to share the gospel. Think about Paul the apostle who was in chains and imprisoned. And he said, my chains are in Christ. That's why I'm here. The greatest commission that the church has been empowered to is the great commission of reaching people with the life-giving message of Jesus Christ. Rather, my end is next year or the end is tomorrow. It's God's heartbeat. It's God's plan for mankind is redemption. We want to be end-time preppers, God, in that. God, we, we, we want to be a part of the Great Commission. We want to be a part of the spiritual life. We want to be a part of, of, of what the early church was a part of, of sharing the gospel even if they were persecuted, of, of seeing the church underground, if you would, explode in their region, of seeing people healed and delivered and come to Christ. Father, I pray over Northwood Church right now, God, that that would be our focus, number one. That would be our highest priority, God, the Great Commission. Some of you in this room right now needs to renew your relationship with God. So, some of you need to start your relationship with God for the very first time because you will have a personal end. Your days are numbered. I want to live for God today. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of reconciliation with God and man. I'm going to pray a prayer here in just a moment. If you say, I want to be included in that prayer. I want to renew my relationship with God. I, I want to start my relationship with Jesus. I don't want to play church. I, I don't want to play religion. I want a real vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ that's you, just lift your hand and put it right back down. I see your hand, ma'am, ma'am, I see your hand, sir. Ma'am, I see your hand. I see your hands over there, hands over there. The Holy Spirit is working on you. Yes, I see your hands. Today's your day, folks. 
Forget about what's happening in politics. Forget about what's happening in the news right now. Forget about what your circumstances are. Forget about your behavior right now. Christ paid for all of that. You're going to receive payment for your sin right now. I'm going to pray a prayer, and I want you just to agree in your heart and say, that's me, God. That's me. I want that. And God's going to see your heart, and he's going to meet you right where you are. Just say something like this, Father in heaven, forgive me. God, forgive me for my sin, God, things that I've done, things that I haven't done, my, my life outside of you, Lord. I thank you for dying on a cross for me, Lord, for paying the price for my sin. I receive you into my life right now. Holy Spirit, come live inside of me. That's your prayer. Come live inside of me. Direct my steps. Take control of my life so that my life is yours. Some of you right now also who are Christians already might want to go ahead and renew, rekindle that relationship with God. The Apostle Paul said that I'm bought with a price. I'm no longer my own. I was once a slave to sin, but now I'm a slave to righteousness. I've been purchased. I belong to Jesus. My life is his to do whatever he wants with me. Some of you need to relinquish your rights right now, even as Christians, even as people who've known God and have been in the church for a while. There's a rekindling. There's a recalibration of saying, you know what? I've been bought with a price. That precious blood of Jesus is the price that's been paid for my life. I'm not of my own, Lord. I'm yours. Do with me what you have to do. So, Father, we thank you for that and everyone that prayed in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Let's give it up, church, for those who prayed that prayer. If you just made that decision, let me be the first to say congratulations. The decision to follow Christ is just the beginning of your relationship with God. So we'd love to help you with your next steps. If you'll go to northwood.tv slash connect and fill out the online information card, our lead pastor, Van DeCote, wants to send you a letter that tells you some more steps to take that'll help you maintain your new relationship with God. We're one church in multiple locations. We have a campus in Gulfport, Wiggins, and in Long Beach, Mississippi. If you live in one of these areas, we'd love to see you at one of our services. You can visit our website, northwood.tv, for service times and locations. If you'd like to give to this ministry, you can do that online as well. Just go to northwood.tv give or simply text the amount you'd like to give to 228-215-3421. Again, that's 228-215-3421. Standard data rates and text charges may apply. Thanks again for joining us today. We'll see you next time.